So how, on God's gray earth, did this? I lit up from Reno, I was trailed by 20 hounds. Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around. Sit out And this? Come on, pretty women, with your hair a-hanging down. And even this. Trucking, got my chips cashed in. Keep trucking, like the doodah man. Become this. to Detours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, and maybe their worst album. But either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Uh, we are on... Twitter, we are on Instagram, we are on Spotify, we're on iTunes, so, you know, if there's a button to make us look better, press it. Thank you. Uh, this week on the panel we have... Matthew Marr. Logan Reynard. And my name is Scott Livingston, and this week we have a special guest, uh, Molly Reynard, a.k.a. Mall Mollusk, from the surf rock band Vampire Squids from Hell. Welcome, Molly. Thank you for having me. So this week we're going to be discussing uh, the Grateful Dead's alleged disco album Shakedown Street. So let's start. Uh, are you a, a fan of the Grateful Dead? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, I grew up with um, hippie parents. Um, my They were both born in like early 50s. And so they were prime age to get kind of the best of the dead, and then obviously the worst of the dead happened with that, too. Um, my father, um, it, my mom always says was, uh, I don't know, um, didn't really listen to any other music other than The Grateful Dead since he first heard it. So he's one of those. Um, and then, you know, my mom, is, I don't know, it was just always played in our house. You know, they, they went to their share of concerts and stuff. And so insofar as um, I'm a musician and... I grew up on their music. Yes, I am definitely a fan, um, but I also uh, am not blind to, you know, the the pitfalls of the their band. Well, nobody bats a thousand, so <laughs> yeah. Well, particularly the Dead with their recorded output or their studio recorded output is yeah, they are wildly not... inconsistent and. Uh, 
it almost always seems like they were dragged grudgingly into doing it. Um, probably the best examples of different periods of the dead on, on recording are from live concerts, which you know, they're really famous for. It is a much better representation. And of what yeah, I will mention that all I mostly heard was live recordings of the dead. In fact, I, you know, you guys had talked to me about doing this podcast about the dead. And so, you know, we were, I was up in Leadville talking to my parents and like asking, Hey, you know, what album should we do? Uh, what do you have to like, you know, some advice on what they were like albums. Maybe they did like three and we looked on, it's like 20 or 30. And oh, so yeah. my parents as huge dead fans had no idea about their album output, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's where they, that's where they stand on albums. Well, and that's, that's sort of their reputation is they were a band for the fans at the venue. They yeah. were a live recording, you know, they were premiering, bootlegging themselves, and they, you know, they had a lot of success as a touring act and almost none whatsoever yeah. as a record-selling act. So, And that speaks very much to what we're going to talk about today with Shakedown Street. Because yes. it was explicitly set, it out, set out to be their um, radio... Friendly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, from what I can tell, it... It did not succeed in that aim, so, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I will admit that much like Kiss, I know the Grateful Dead from reputation, but almost nothing of yeah. their music. I mean, you might hear Touch of Grey or, I don't oh. know, Casey Jones on the radio, and that's about it. So, I mean, yeah. I know what they're supposed to sound like, but I never listened to them yeah. until I listened to this album, so I guess the next oh, question I'm is... sorry, Scott. What do they normally sound like? Because I'm assuming they don't normally sound no, like this. Nothing like this. Um, uh, th- there's a couple of songs on here that did go on to be some staples in, um, and I've heard them a million times, but I've never heard them from the uh, actual album for yep. which they were written. Um, Shakedown Street is one of them. Um, I never liked it that much. It's very a disco song. Um, Fire on the Mountain is another one. Um, yeah, Fire on the Mountain's a big staple of their lives. Yes, it is. Yeah, and they, um, you know. They often, uh, it's it's Fire on the Mountain is one of them where they put together, um, uh, I forget what it goes into, maybe Scarlet, oh, Scarlet Begonias, Scarlet I think. Begonias. Yeah. Um, so it, it they kind of um, pick songs to um, piece together and um, play one into the other, and it's kind of this, uh, I don't know, it's... They they compose their live shows very well and very curated um, uh, from different songs from different phases and yeah well I mean if that was their their main focus and forte and clearly the only thing the fans cared about either then mm-hmm. yes they should take their time to really work the Absolutely. live shows and so yeah and there were very long um, stretches of jamming um my favorite period of the dead is like uh late 60s to early 70s yeah. that was um they had pig pen as their um, vocalist and um piano player who um keith replaced um and so uh, i will um from this album specifically um good lovin yeah uh yeah that's interesting i mean young rascals it's a cover um but they did that like a lot it was a huge staple of their shows and pig pen used to um my dad has said, um, 
like in the you know early 70s, he would go hear them at um, Fillmore East and they would uh, play that song for, I mean, might've been the drugs talking, but yeah. he said hours. I maybe think like half an hour to an hour, but they would play that song and Pegpen just riffing and then the jamming and yeah. stuff like that. So it's really, the songs were um, about uh, a little bit of giving time a dilation, yeah. vehicle yeah. of for, for jamming. Well, yeah. Than, I mean, this songs. whole album is 39 minutes and four seconds, oh, so Christ. I could easily see one song from the dead, you know, yeah. in a live situation where you're not cut off by the end of the vinyl at, you know, 22 minutes or whatever. They're, you know, it's no secret that the dead are quite famous for, uh, you know, the old uh, LSD. You know, Owsley was their sound guy, for <laughs> Christ's sakes. And, uh, um, you know, they've all pretty much said at one time or another that, the concerts lasted roughly about as long as mm-hmm. an acid trip would last, and they felt responsible to, you know, play music to, to kind of keep people mellow, you know, until it was safe for them to drive home. <laughs> and so, Grateful Dead fans consumed drugs. I do not believe <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah. So, and and what is the popular? I mean, amongst the Deadheads, what is their thinking on this album. I, I mean, clearly they don't think about albums at all generally, so, but I mean, I, I, I've, I've had heard people from two camps like, okay, for instance, um, my, my dad has a bunch of siblings. They yeah. were all kind of around at the same time and doing the same shit as my dad. None of them were musicians. Um, he was the only musician. And so I think he had a really deep musical appreciation and that's why, you know, he's like, uh, I don't care about the albums. The albums always disappointed me, but you yeah. know, the shows blew my mind. Um, there are people who kind of like my, one of my uncles, for instance, is kind of uh, one of those people who, um, um, I don't know, uh, goes with the um, popular. I don't know, just consensus. Yeah, or, or goes along with the um, goes with the flow with it. Is like I love the dead, and therefore I love everything about everything about them. Yeah. You know, um, and so the albums were fine for those people. <laughs> it was yeah. like it was the the dead made it. Therefore, like it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it's infallible. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, my my big introduction to the dead was um well the best of, right? A greatest yeah. hits album. It was the one with the uh, uh skeleton on the cover, um, but with its middle finger up and mm-hmm. um the disc, you know, yeah, rotating around the finger. <laughs> and uh, cool. uh but it, that was before this album that mm-hmm. that we're going, you know, that we're going to listen to. And um um I, I, I always marveled, at least when I listened to it, I really enjoyed that, and, yeah. and I think it's, um, unlike a lot of other bands, I think a Greatest Hits collection is probably a good thing for the dead in terms of their studio-recorded yeah. material. Yeah. I, was, I was a little bit shocked, um, in, in terms of when I first heard it, I mean, I was a bit shocked at how, how folky it was. Yeah, and how how earthy it was, and how how much they um, they they uh, drew from uh, an American tradition. Yeah. Well, this album certainly has a reputation as the Dead's disco album, mm-hmm. and um, my impression listening to it, other than one very blatant, <laughs> um, most of the songs are not that disco-y. I mean, oh yeah, there are a lot more. Shall we say white guy island vibes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a Jimmy Buffett cover band, yeah. Margaritaville, um, which says something because they did set out to cop a lot of di- like Mickey, uh, Mickey, Mickey Hart was like um, turns out the kind of creative brain behind um, making this album, and which is 
went went pretty terribly wrong. The drummer, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the drummers, they and have so two yeah, drummers. he's he's. Uh, There's a lot of people in this band. I uh, don't know the names. In of and half out, of them. and yeah, yeah. And this was actually speaking of with Keith, Keith and Donna Gottschalk. Their it was their last album with the band. They actually left like a couple months yeah. after they released this. Well, and this was actually produced by Lowell George of Little Feet. Yeah, yeah. Um, who died shortly after this came out too. So he clearly was not <laughs> in his uh, prime best yeah. <laughs> shape making this album. Yeah, and that, that that in and of itself is a, is a bit strange because. Um, Lil George was very much a, a rootsy kind of guy. Yeah. Well, Little mm-hmm. Feet is a rootsy kind of band. Yeah. Or well, they were. I don't know a whole lot about them. Before we get too far away from what Molly was saying about the older deadheads, that really, you know, other than the disco tune and just the, the shameless, you know, pop production that's, you know, yeah. uh, on this, it, it, this album is really, no, this one and what is it, In the Dark is the yeah. one with Shakedown Street. Like, these are kind of significant for being like having a real uh, um, generational divide, this is this is where you get younger younger deadheads who might be getting their first exposure. Who yeah, would go on to be big fish fans. That's and other, very true. Other That's... jammy things and the you know older older deadheads uh, you know disavow this later period yeah. of recorded output. That's um, actually yeah, in my notes on some of these songs it's like, well, I know it's like a classic, but it's also like it seems to be um the Fish fans' favorite dead song, um which is yeah, very indicative of kind of the crossover from what you were saying about the root of the band which was Man, uh, Garcia was in like a, a bluegrass band when he started The Dead. Um, so, yeah, I think most of their roots are very much more in that tradition. You know, Mickey Hart was one who influenced them. And they, man, they, they just love music. And the the guys in the band, at least, from <laughs> what I know, you know, they just love music. They were like, yeah, cool, let's let's do that. Yeah, ooh, island vibes, let's do that. Um, so, yeah, they didn't really have a, a holistic picture of you know, their image. They were just like, ooh, that's cool, let's try it. Well, shall we get into it? Uh, the first song, I think, is the uh, the cover and the first single, Good Lovin', yeah. which was not sung by Pigpen because he was... Um, Dead. Unavailable. <laughs> So apparently this is uh, a um, dive bar in Key West, and we're listening to a group of middle-aged <laughs> dentists who have a, a cover band on the weekends do the Young Rascals. Yeah. Wow, beautifully put. You got any Coke? Yeah. I mean, they're all wearing coral pink uh, polo shirts and uh, cargo shorts, I think. This is this is not helping. This, I mean, um, one of my notes was this song, this recording is just an insult to Pigpen's memory because this was like one of his big, like, you know, he could show his stuff, um, riff for an hour, um, just, you know, sloppily, I don't know, just this kind of pagan, like loving atmosphere of just like debauchery he would create around like playing this song, um, playing, um, what's the other one? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, this recording is um, pretty slick, shall we say? Yeah, this should be a foot stomper. Who are who are the background singers? 
Um, Donna was one. I know they rotated. I know definitely later on, Jerry's daughter, Sunshine, I think her name was, um, was... Lights on this song, I thought, I thought that was well done. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? They might have been professionals hired by Lowell Georgia. It yeah. might just be, you know... Whichever random right, who was in the members of the, the bands time, right? were. Donna was actually ex Muscle Shoals, which I didn't know before I looked at Wikipedia. Um, so yeah, they might yeah. have tapped those contacts too. Yeah, yeah, she she did sing with Elvis, I think, on a yeah. song or two, and she's been around. I mean, yeah. I mean, it shows you know as much as I'm aware of the Dead as a you know pop cultural phenomenon, mostly from their fans. I had no idea the band was ever even co-ed. I mean, I knew there was. Mm-hmm. Jerry Garcia in it, and he looked like Santa Claus, but I yeah. couldn't name anyone else in the band. I don't know what they look like. I could yeah. pass them on the street and have no idea. So, Well, I mean, even though there's recorded output to suggest otherwise, I think probably drugs and alcohol are responsible for this. You know, while there's some sloppy, sloppy stuff out there, all these people could play and sing very well. Mm-hmm. They're really accomplished musicians in a, a lot of different genres of music. Like you were saying earlier, Molly, like, you know, they kind of, they started out as country and bluegrass kind of band and, and had a really, you know, kind of folksy, um, you know, traditionalist vibe early on until they got kind of acid fried. And Yeah, and this recording, I mean, you put it perfectly, Scott, is like unrecognizable as the the players, you know, Jerry yeah. Garcia, et cetera, um, who are actually in the dead. Like, yeah, it might as well be a cover band. The other thing I really hate about this recording is everything is eerily exactly on the beat. Like, every note. Like, there's yes. no syncopation. They what, what year was this album? 78. 78, yeah. You so. know, so you know that means that you're playing probably to a click track, and it's it's very laborious. I assumed yeah. it was a click track, but still, I, I syncopate when I'm on a click track. It's just to know where. It's so weird. Well, like, click tracks like, were fairly new technology yeah. at this time, so they may have just been, okay, I hear this whack, whack, whack in my head, and i got to get that cowbell yep. or timbali or whatever the, the hell else they threw and, on well, there. I, you know, and I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with doing that. I, no. I just know that before the days of computer editing, you're going to have to just play this thing until you get that rhythm exact. exactly right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can just say it like the the studio is not their forte. This was they oh, might no. as well have been doing this while they were in space, you know. Yeah. Holding their breaths, you they, know, like that is not a comfortable place for them to be. It's not what they were practiced at. Maybe they could have had the wrecking crew do it and just come in and do the vocals. <laughs> yeah. It almost sounds like they did. They would have turned Carol Kay yeah. up a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> Poor Carol. Well, shall we skip on to the next one? I think it's France. Sounded very Parisian, you know, with an accordion player on the sidewalk <laughs> of the cafe. I'll, I'll be the first to say that was disturbing. Yeah. yeah. It was a bit of a mess. Um, so uh, I thought I knew I had a pretty good handle on... I still think I know a pretty good handle on the Dead's, uh, you know, rotation of songs live um, from early yeah. and late in their career. Uh, I never heard of 
the name of this song before. And like, come to think of it, maybe I've heard it once, like on the radio accidentally. Otherwise, honestly, like this did not, this was one of the songs on this album. It did not make it into later rotation um, because it's bad. Was that Bob Werrigan and... Is Bob and, and Donna singing? Bob and Donna, yeah. yeah. According to Wikipedia, the song was in fact never played live. Oh, oh, that explains a lot. Yep. There you go. I mean, this this song is so not French. I mean, next thing you'll tell me, there's a song called "Knights in Estoril" that don't sound Portuguese <laughs> at all. Well, I mean, it's not even Mediterranean France. Yeah. No, it's it's like the the commercial for Royal Caribbean cruise lines. <laughs> yeah. That's this, the kind of island vibe we're getting here. And it, and it's messy. Yeah. yeah. The steel drum solo is uh, unfortunate, I think is the right I word. I know, and I think Mickey Hart was driving a lot of this feel of this, and, you know, no one was really on board. Yeah. I think it was, it, he should have had, you know, some session people on board with when, it, but yeah, Mickey got a right. co-writing credit because yeah, that, he was so when you have this in charge of the arrangement. Of Calypso-esque or, you know, island-esque music. I'm saying esque because it's a bunch of white dudes. <laughs> Trying to pull it off. Not even trying that yeah, hard. Yeah, they're not, they're not trying Some of that. them are trying. It doesn't sound like they're trying very hard. Mickey's but trying. One of the, the hallmarks of that is that just the whole band hits like it's one big drum kit. Everybody's like rhythmic feel and pocket is absolutely essential to pulling it off. And so having one guy in the band like really excited about doing that style, but like seemingly not having clued anyone else in on their duties thusly is a a big problem and that that makes me think of you know like you're saying it's sloppy and that is actually a bit of a hallmark of their live um uh jams they do get really sloppy but they always pull it together but it was the fact that i think what logan was saying mickey was just someone was not on board and they were doing the rest of the dead stuff and yeah Yeah. well the thing is is like um it's not sloppy as much as messy yeah, I mean that that right. you know it's like they're they're on the beat. They're all they're all playing together, right. right? In terms, at least as the recording came out, all of that. So it's very it's very tight in that sense. It's just there's there's a lot of stuff just layered on top of each other, and it doesn't seem to make things better. <laughs> yeah, well, in the best of the bed uh, of the dead, especially I mean in you know early classic stuff too. I mean even late in their career, one of the like real hall- hallmarks of it is. I would compare them to like the best of like the the band, for instance, where it's it's groovy and it's sloppy, but in this kind of tight. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's sloppy, but they in this way where everybody's like really lock, you know, really listening, and 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 it's, you you sound like these guys might have all been locked in a you know a submarine or something separately from the others while recording that. You know, it's like everybody was in complete isolation. That's another reason it's eerie when you hear them. Like playing exactly on the beat, like they did with Good Love, and um, yeah. This is off topic a bit, but what did Lil George? What did he die of? I think it was alcohol poisoning. It was or drug oh. overdose. Yeah, yeah, he was not in good shape, and there was a reason why he, Little Feet dissolved is mostly because he was. I wonder. Being I wonder just how active he was in in the production of this album. From what I understand, the Grateful Dead was required by the record contract yeah. not to produce the albums themselves, so they had to bring someone else in. They may have just brought him in so he was out of the rain and then produced it themselves. I don't know. Yeah. The reason that they were likely not allowed to do that is um, that they re- they self produced Axomaxoa, one of their earlier records, and it failed miserably. It was just weird, but it's. 
classic. It's awesome. It's an interesting listen. It has a lot of classic material on yeah, it. Yeah, if you want an album that really represents the dead, listen to that Th- one. Those were the days that record companies let you hang around for a while, even yeah. with failures. Yeah. But that, but it's also kind of an unintelligible mess in places, and that's that's fine. Um, but uh, you know, the story is that the dead use the record label's money to learn how to use the studio, and you know, we all we're, we're left with the the results of that. <laughs> yes, somebody's Wait, which picking album up the was tab. that? Was that their first album? I, no, it might have been the first. It was among the first. Um, it, it was in the sixties. It might have been the first full length one. Because yeah. because. Working Man's came out. I think it was after. After, and I remember that one made sense. Yeah, I remember people thinking, "Oh, thank God they didn't make a crazy mess." And then American Beauty after that. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can always check online. To get That's the right. Correct yep. order of the discovery. We're uh, lovers, not experts. <laughs> well, shall we move on to uh, the title track and second single, Must the be. one that gives the album its. Uh, Notoriety, shall we say. to explain this to me how is that not a great disco song <laughs> it's a it's Logan, a, take a, this one it's a capable disco song <laughs> yeah um i think the tempo is a little bit i mean we're in the we're in the pocket but it's just yeah, like again with the like heartless soulless exactly on the beat machine yeah it's a little well all right so disco gets a gets a, a rough uh deal because it's it often does. you know people are like it's heartless and mechanical and it's like well there were no drum machines at the time People are, you know, that's that's people playing, you know, flawlessly and mechanically for several minutes at a time, which is in itself, you know, I don't think, you know, there's plenty of sessions musicians today who can't play that tight and groovy for that long. It might be why they invented the drum machine. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> okay, I get tight, but I don't get groovy. Well, yeah. and again, that's this tempo is like just a hair on the slow side. Like, you can't really, you can, you can kind of be like too stoned to walk around and stand still and, 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 and sort of wiggle your shoulders to it, which I mean, they, I, I, I take but it back. That's, this is shoulder. perfect. Never mind. There you go. Well, there were a lot of, they know what they're doing. Sixties bands that were trying to reinvigorate themselves by attempting disco at this time. I mean, yeah. Paul McCartney had good night tonight. Right. Uh, you know, the kinks had wish I could fly like Superman. Yeah. Well, and kiss had, uh, I uh, love that song. I was, yeah. I was made for loving you, which famously had the disco version with the whip cracks and everything like that. That was a bit later, put but still, you're, you're, absolutely. And of course the stones had miss you, right? The stones, yeah. Elton which John a, had a whole oh. album called victim of love, which we might get to. That is pure disco that he was apparently uninvolved with completely. They just hired him at the end to sing on top of it. So that, <laughs> That's a another. Did Bernie thing. write the songs? No, he didn't oh. write anything. They, they, it's it's bad. There's so, like <laughs> this is the first one where you can get. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Phil Lesh, the bass player, and the Grateful Dead. Yeah, you can hear Phil. And this is the first one where you kind of can hear typical bop, bop. Phil bass playing. He played on flat wounds with a pick, 
and and you know originally just through like a you know a, a fendery type amp which gave it this really dry uh kind of plunky thing that is usually other than jerry's guitar solo is just about the loudest thing going on and it's this really neat kind of major pentatonic sort of uh, you know counterpoint to the rest of the song that factors in you know we were complaining about there being like no syncopation whatsoever Phil is the guy who's adding that on most of the Grateful Dead's. Um, He's driving. Um, Scarlet yeah. Begonias is a great example. The Scar- Scarlet Begonias baseline is really syncopated and busy, and you know some people might not like it. I do, but they have him so turned down and toned down, uh, you know, uh, uh, volume-wise and uh, uh, texturally. In this, that yeah, that element that element is clearly missing. Do you know any of his backstory? Like, what, what, where did he come from? He he was a does he play viola or violin. He was classically trained uh, a string player, and actually was you know going to school for a composition, um, and you know way into uh, kind of newer. I mean, I don't know, he had John Cagey kind of. Um, modern classical music and uh, when uh, you know he kind of ran into Jerry and the gang um, and they switched him over to bass guitar so there's a lot of there's a lot of his playing that's informed by classical you know voice leading and things like that that you wouldn't typically see in a rock band and especially from the bass player and so it, it I don't know. He he has a really interesting take. I think lots of other people who try to copy him fall flat on their face because they're not him and they don't have his background, mm-hmm. um, or maybe just because it works in the context and, of this band. And that band. might be why it this doesn't work as a as a dead album. Yeah. If you, if you take a critical element out of it. Yeah. I think they took every critical element out. Yeah, yeah, they took in this album. Mostly. You still have some yeah. singers, though, right? Yeah, they have singers. I mean, but that's not in no way the centerpiece of anything they do. It's just you know some fun. Again, like they they like to incorporate all kinds of music. You know, anyone who's a musician who comes up to them, they're like, yeah, let's if, try it. Let's if cool. you've seen or heard, you know, good live performances, the singing is not that it's bad, but it is not. Emphasize. Emphasize. Yeah, yeah, it's like they're they're rip. If Jerry's playing, you know, if he's singing lead vocal. And he's playing ripping guitar solos. He probably is like staggering over and mumbling into the mic when it's time for the verse. It's not like this. It's well, not the center of attention. It's it's pretty. I mean, the singing the of of um, Jerry actually is part of what like people in the not Grateful Dead sphere. I want to say like mainstream or whatever. Yeah. I think that's part of the crossover appeal was that you know people really love Jerry's voice. Um, and so I will say about this song, too, um, this did go on to be a big part of their repertoire. I think for a while they probably played it at every um, live show um, or almost every live show. Um, and did they keep the disco-y arrangement? Yes, and that's the interesting Weird. thing. Um, what's, what's the other one that's on the, the, on this the album? Cornell live album that they played a lot, too? Mm. There's another really disco. What, disco song? Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they did keep the disco feel, but they added, you know, they did it with the right instrumentation, you know. Yeah. It's never been my favorite song. I'm always like, what? When it comes on um, in a live album. But whatever, they, you know, when they go off jamming with it, it kind of works. Um, and again, it's the right instrumentation. They're doing it with, you know, the, the right levels of the guitars and the bass, and everyone's allowed to do the right, the, like, what they do. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it is, like, still 
disco-y, but they do it. They do it okay. A little disco is not a bad thing, but right, and you know, and that's probably why this song always confused me because, like, it's not disco anymore when they do it, but it's still got the disco beat and oh. the disco feel. I don't know. Dancing in the streets. Oh yeah, it was the just god awful disco dancing, dancing in the streets. Yeah, it was, it was even it was stable. even worse than the Van Halen version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, shall we move on to the next track, which I guess is not a song, but a track? Oh, yeah. I will say about this one, it is not at all a departure for them. No. Um, this isn't be, a yeah. weird thing for them to do at all. They often did like way too long. In drum my opinion. circle. Drum, um, just breakdowns where, you know, drum and solo. you have to be like wasted. And, you know, uh, and it would be amazing. And their fans would be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they would do this a lot. But, you know, my parents have confirmed to me that like when it comes on uh, on the, you know, the Dick's Picks we're listening to, they're like, okay, we can skip this. This was only fun when I was like tripping. Yeah. Um, so But yeah. this was only two minutes long. I think is awesome. Yeah. I appreciate oh, that. Yeah. This, this it's could way be better. This could be one of the highlights of the album. I really can't remember what the song is called. I try to look it up, but um, on uh, Pork Soda, uh, Tim Alexander, Primus's Pork right, Solo, right, right. Tim, Tim Alexander's uh, uh, drum drum solo, drum percussion feature like sounds Hail Santa, I think almost exactly like this, you know, plus mm. some tastier marimba. This is the proper length for a drum breakdown. Like what they yep. did in like later, like, you know, live stuff, <laughs> it would go like, like rhythm five, doubles. six minutes. Uh, and yeah. it's just like, guys, okay, come on. Yeah. Yeah, this this does require some um, enhancements in order to be fully I, appreciated. I agree with it being exactly the right dose of of this it sort is, of thing, yeah. but it also you know if you listen to any of the live stuff, they do they go on forever, and I I think this is this is a case of like a rock and roll drummer being like, hey, check out this. It's in a weird time. It's three against four, and it's got like. You know, a, a polyrhythmic kind of trick or yeah. or or gimmick to it, and it's like, yep, it's that. That's that trick. It's like, impressive, you're but a lot it's of not interesting. Out of, out of <laughs> yeah. That. Although, come come to think of it, I'm willing to bet that the producers kind of saved us here. They were like, no, Mickey and Bill, you cannot go on for seven minutes with this. That, that we'll cut it at two is, minutes. Yeah, a take of this that's yeah, yeah, long enough to last the whole album. They yeah. just pick the best two minutes. And w- was this the <laughs> last song on the first side? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So oh, that makes sense. Doesn't it go into Serengeti? Fire? It might. Let me check. I think it goes right into Fire in the Mountain. I have. So the Serengeti. Yes, it goes right into Fire in the Mountain. That's the last one on site. Where on the continent is the well, Serengeti? The somewhere. I think north? it's north. I'm gonna go with. Yeah. All right. Again, we could look it up, but we're lazy. Logan's looking it up. Oh, okay. Damn it. Don't want to. Okay, look then up we'll how just... you spell Serengeti. Seriously, they spell it with two T's. It should be one, I think. There you go. There, there might have been an, an artistic choice there. Oh, yeah, it's very artistic. <laughs> Turns out Serengeti is copyrighted, and uh, they're very, very litigious, the owners of the, 
So they had to change <laughs> the, the spell. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say. S-E-R-E-N-G-E-T-I. Well, yeah, so yeah, they, they spell it with two T's. We've Which learned I, something today. Yeah. If my spell check hadn't corrected me when I was taking notes, I might have not realized that they it's spelled in northern it Tanzania. Okay. So this is more of the the island album than the uh, disco album. Yeah, well, they tried for disco and they landed well, I, on islands. And I think you can appreciate, you know, once Jerry starts singing on this album, that it really is he's he is the main attraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, the studio does know how to play up that aspect at least. Um, no other aspects, in my opinion. Yeah, this is um, the kind of fish fan favorite. I like to think of it as like every time I I listen to it, it's like I just picture my like college roommate hula dancing um, yeah. to following fish uh, a whole summer. Fish played this song a lot. I take it. Oh, I have no idea, but no, it's it's they played kind something of, that sounded exactly yeah, like it. Exactly, well, it's it's kind of the influence. They they take the Dead's influence of this stuff where they should have taken other stuff. Well, we went right past with Shakedown Street that there's a fish. You know, play Shakedown Street, and you know it's a feature and beloved thing, and you know. Yeah. Yeah, and right, I, I can see that. I can see from a true deadhead that that would be you took the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what you're taking away from the band, seriously. Yeah. Well, this is a great example. I mean, this is the closest we're going to get to a classic Phil kind of baseline on this album. It's yeah. low in the mix compared to how they would be live or on other recorded output, but. It's also kind of neutered. They sort of took out a lot of inflection and things that groove-wise affect it negatively because, you know, there's usually this kind of eighth note or sixteenth note pulse in in Phil's bass playing, almost like, you know, a, a slap bass player, you know, throws in a whole bunch of dead notes and things like that to establish a da 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 you know, even if they're not playing that many notes. And that's rhythmically important if no one else in the band is doing that. And in this one, they, they kind of took all that stuff out, and but nobody else like filled it in, you know? Yeah. And this is another, is one of the two in this, um, on this album that did go on to be like classics. I mean, Good Lovin' was already a classic, um, and they play it much better live. But this one um, was one that I, I'm pretty sure they mostly wrote for this album. Um, and it did go on to be one of their staples. Yeah. And unlike Shakedown Street, it didn't lose its, like, it sounds exactly like this when they play it live. Mm. I mean, except Phil being louder, obviously, but um, mostly, yeah. Go go find yourself a killer live version of this, because there's many out and, there, and they're awesome. And this definitely is my favorite on this album. It's never, again, been anywhere near approaching any of my favorites um, of their you know, because they have so many damn songs. But, yeah. you know, it's definitely the best on this album. And who's Jerry's writing partner? Uh, Robert Hunter. Robert Apparently, Hunter. Robert this Hunter. this song they tried to record for Terrapin Station, the album they did before. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And it comes from a song called Happiness is Drumming, yeah. which Robert Hunter wrote for uh, the Digga Rhythm Band in their 1976 Robert album. Robert Hunter wrote it? Yeah, I would definitely have thought. has his lyrical... Well, it's actually band written band. technically by Robert Hunter and Roger Hart, so... Mm. Oh, like... 
Mickey Hart's dad, I think, was the manager. Yeah, something um, like that. In like that. the early seventies. So that may have been why he, it was given to that other band, he, and why they. Wikipedia told me he embezzled like seventy thousand. <gasps> I am shocked. A, a in dad manager taking yeah. money from their their son's band. That, no precedent that, for that. In no, no, that could never music, happen. In the music biz. Well, and when you're doing a lot of drugs, you'd never. <laughs> it's hard to do accounting and drugs numbers, at the same time. Man. <laughs> yeah, they were famously <laughs> bad business managers. Okay. Well, we'll flip the record over to side two. Hopefully we get some more uh, faux calypso reggae island rhythms. <laughs> So remember that uh, band of middle-aged dentists who are playing <laughs> covers in Key West? Well, they're now attempting to do the blues. Well, this is the classic Bobby song, and it never goes away. It never changes. It's, um, And I think it probably moved over to Rat Dog, which is Bobby's um, band after the dead in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine, because um, yeah. it's very much uh, Bob Weir. Um, th- this song is is like Bob Weir's yeah, sensibility. You gotta wonder, don't you? I mean, Bob Weir is awesome in a lot of ways, but um, uh, th- this album is rich with him Yeah, in yeah. terms of his vocals, you know? I and think, uh, I think Jerry's pretty pretty fried at the time. And, and you, you have to wonder if there's something going on there, that he is just out of the picture for some reason. Jerry and Lowell are busy in one corner drinking and... So, Doing heroin. I think yeah, that's yeah. probably when he started there, so, abusing heroin. There's a little bit of dead history that we need to cover to put this in context, and that is that... The Grateful Dead, you know, started off as, you know, hippie weirdos trying to do country bluegrass, psychedelia, and it grew into kind of this industry. I mean, the closest thing, you know, Matt's wearing a Metallica shirt right now, but they were as industrious as Metallica is today in the way they toured, and several uh, guitar and uh, uh, musical companies jumped up around, uh, you know, Modulus and Alembic and, and other folks. Um, who were friends of theirs kind of came up making gear and figuring out, you know, the technical necessities of the dead touring um, and, you know, making instruments and gear that didn't really exist at the time. And uh, they were all part of this, like, you know, the Grateful Dead business side, industrial complex. And uh, yeah, and it really started to happen in the 80s where they became an economy and they couldn't literally could not stop touring there because were, they had so many people on their payroll yeah. who would lose their jobs. There were a lot of small industry. It was a company. Yeah, they yeah. was a Grateful Dead company of a, 100 people or more. It was a whole industry, and I, it really wore on the band. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that was really a huge factor in Jerry's health decline but, and heroin, too. Yeah, they, but they, they felt this pressure to stay on the road and keep making, you know, keep touring, keep it, you know, keep making money, however... 
they had to because there were you know hundreds of mouths to feed. And also, I actually meant to mention this earlier, but um, they did have a touring hiatus before Terrapin Station, which was barely a year before they made this album. They had a touring hiatus of, I think, 74 to 76. I mean, not touring hiatus. Um, sorry, uh, album-making yeah, hiatus recording. of purely touring. Yeah. Um, and that actually... Um, is considered to be like early to mid seventies is considered to be the absolute peak of them touring. And, um, even after, uh, uh, Pigpen's death, which, um, I'm a diehard Pigpen fan, but even after that is considered by classic dead people to, um, be, yeah, the, the kind of the peak in their band. So this might be a demarcation point. Yeah. Album. Yeah. I it, think so. It really is. Like I said, this is, you know, there's a gen- this is the generational divide for stuff is like right around here in terms of fans and, yeah. and stylistic stuff. This album is very telling in their demarcation. You guys both mentioned Rat Dog earlier, which was one of the side project bands, but God, there, there was, there's got to be at least a dozen side project bands from all people connected mm. to the dead. And, you know, to kind of help put into context some of the drug abuse that was going on. Touring is hard work. It's really boring and unhealthy. Especially touring with the dead with those stacks. Yeah. Yes. And 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 one of the stories is just like even when the dead were not on the road, every you know, anyone who had a side project would go out on the road to do their side projects. So these these guys lived on the road making music for, you know, how forty years, you know, fifty whatever, forever, their entire lives. And you can imagine that they would you know, the stories, you know, especially with Jerry, who was, you know, way into heroin, was that if he if he could, you know, if he stopped moving, he would OD and die. Well, was yeah. he into it by then, by this time? Or yeah, did I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, it definitely was way bigger deal in the mid to late 80s, was really just fucking up his health really badly. But heroin was for sure around by now. Yeah, yeah I think they were always, you know, they loved their acid and, you know. They're psychedelic. Acid, you know, it will fry your brain, but I don't think it's yeah. as bad for your body as. But when safe. you're when you're touring, you need more maintenance. Yes, drugs. exactly. You like need, I think because yeah. there was a lot of alcohol around, there was also lots of cocaine around, and because there was heroin around, you, there, need to be you able know, to stay they're awake. <laughs> they're always on multiple stuff that would suit their situation to get them to do their job. Yeah. yeah. One other thing about this song that I I have to bring up because mm. it goes back to a different episode we did earlier. At a certain point, the band stops and everyone's snapping their fingers, oh. which brought me to mind of I by a Kiss. <laughs> a miracle every day. I need a miracle. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> it's very much, yeah, um, West Side Story. Somebody make that happen. Somebody, somebody mash those up. That is, yeah. So there, there's one cross connection I wanted to at least oh, get in there before we moved on to the next track. Which, you know, I'm sure is going to be one of the best songs.
Oh, sorry about that. We accidentally put a clip of Crystal Gale in instead of <laughs> the Grateful Dead. We'll we'll fix that later. Jeez. That was make uh, my brown eyes blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like Carly Simon or Linda yep. Ronstadt or something. Not that even. was not. Um, Molly, you want to take it away with some uh, Donna history? Oh, okay. Yeah, um, Muscle Shoals singer came, you know, trained from that. Uh, I think she's still around and still sings and shit. Um, I don't know. You know, she's uh, she joined the band in '72, and like I've already said, you know, the acknowledged classic years of them touring, um, she was around. Um, she was a big part of that. Um, I think, as far as um, she came packaged with. Well, okay, no, she. Well, I guess she was probably dating Keith by then. But yeah, so Keith joined in '71 um, as the kind of they <laughs> as the. <laughs> Not uh, acknowledged replacement of Pigpen because Pigpen was still technically alive, but you know, you know that was. Um, and then so yeah, she joined in '72. Um, I don't exactly know the politics of that. I do know, you know, there was no drama about them leaving, and there was no drama about her joining either. Um, I, and I also will say that as for, I mean, I've 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 been guilty of this, and I think dead dead fans are guilty of you know anything that's not Bobby or Jerry or Jerry yeah. um, singing wise. Yeah. They're like, fuck this, you know. It's, she's um, the so, Ringo of the band. I, I she think, doesn't get a yellow submarine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that's that's a big reason why everyone's like, no, fuck that. But you know, I mean, she's she's a good singer. She's but she just you know, she's not. She was never going to be embraced thoroughly. Although, she, I mean, she kind of was. Like like I said, she was around in their acknowledged like height of touring. So yeah. it's hard to say. Um, I do know. Yeah. Just there, there was no like huge drama around it. It was no yeah. Yoko situation. It was just yeah. Well, when you're in a jam band and you don't play an instrument, you are at a disadvantage to say Definitely. the least. Um, and the reason I asked if she played an instrument wasn't wasn't necessarily to disparage her. I just thought the arrangement on this song was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't, you know, and if she had been, you know, if she had been uh, an instrumentalist as the author of the song, I think it would have been different. Or if the other band members had been invested enough to flesh this out yeah. into a, a great song. Yeah, it was really only Keith on her side with this one. You can hear it in the um, instrumentation. Is It's mostly keyboards, really. We're and back to Jimmy Buffett cover, cover band yeah. style. Yeah. Right. Curviness. I mean, she, she definitely wasn't in the right band if she wanted to write songs, which, um, from what I've read, was part of the reason she and Keith ended up leaving was they kind of did realize after this that they weren't in the right band because yeah. the band did not pull off their songs well at all. I, I don't mean to, to, to shit on her, you know, musical capabilities and stuff, but I think I speak for most dead fans when it, you know, Donna usually seems kind of like a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, it's yeah. Like she, she, not really sure what band she's in. Well, and but I think it also, like I said before, has to be acknowledged that no one was ever going to embrace her if she, the voice singing wasn't Jerry or yeah. Bobby sometimes. Yeah, so she catches a lot of shit. From yeah, exactly. Are, when she starts to sing, yeah, everyone's like, no, you're even, not Jerry. Even if she you. was the best thing to ever happen uh -huh. to the Grateful Dead, people... Yeah, again, old school deadheads would still hate on her. Yeah, well, and there's probably still some misogyny. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. particularly for '78. Yeah, what's this chick doing singing an Grateful Dead exactly. song? Exactly, and you know. and it. I mean, talking about her never playing an instrument. I mean, who knows? Like, I think uh, a lot of times I've experienced this where you don't really get a chance to even uh, try. Yeah, Yoko yeah. breaking up the Beatles is still fresh. Yeah. <laughs> I blame Linda. It's yeah. still fresh. <laughs> Hot take, Matt. <laughs> well, shall we 
continue onward and forward then? Yes. Stagger Lee. 's of that yeah absolutely <laughs> that was some sort of mutated version of little feet and um, right the band you're right it did sound a bit little feet uh, yeah that's the most Lowell Georgie we've gotten it here it was super loud and compressed and yeah uh, it, you know the song itself probably would have been fine as like a, a, a stripped down acoustic number which I bet is what Jerry had in mind initially but that yeah that Whatever synth, yeah, and that oh, there's yeah, yeah, some horrible early synth or late electric piano as well, yes, and and, yeah, the uh, the, and this was their album where they were trying to sell out. I mean, this was them trying to be commercial. So either this is what they thought was popular, or I know it was Mickey Hart, I think, who did say something along those lines. Oh, I have the quote if you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, That's a. That's what I'm thinking of, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we were trying to sell out. Oh, let's make a single and get on the radio. Sure. We failed miserably once again. I mean, we could never sell out even if we tried, and we tried. So, well, so that's from Wikipedia, by the way. That, that is, you know, I appreciate that honesty. We were really trying to uh-huh. sell out, and we just Especially sucked at it. Especially since, I mean, it's Mickey well, saying it, and he yeah. was the one, the creative force behind the band. I mean, yeah. I, I do appreciate that honesty there. A thing that kept popping into my head, you know, and this song is a really good example of trying to do this like folksy bluesy interpretation but with this glistening steely dan-esque production yeah um jazz fusion-esque production um is that uh it got me to go back and listen to a bunch of uh Ry Cooter records mm. who with this similar you know the albums around the same time uh similar kind of like you know wanting to be you know, foot stompy and bluesy, but it's still an interpretation. He does not not pretending to be a you know blind old blues man or some phony crap like that. It's it's definitely his own interpretation. But his albums are awesome, and he's like you know treading on some real similar territory, but pulling it off. And I just this is this is kind of funny to me because it's like, oh no, you can you can do this. You can yeah, this well, you this, can approach this type of stuff yeah. even with this production. And it's awesome and seems authentic in a, you know, as an original thing. And this one, and the, you know, the juxtaposition with the dad is that there, for just about everything on this album, there are absolutely killer live versions that just well, make yeah. it be like, and this, ooh. This is another one that did not make it into larger rotation, um, barely at all. Um, and I, when I first heard this one, I, um, I think I didn't realize that, you know, Minglewood, which is a classic one of theirs, and so is I Need a Miracle. Minglewood you know, Blues. Yeah. Minglewood Blues, yeah. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, so I, I <laughs> kind of heard this and was like, I didn't realize those other ones were on there. It was like, oh, did, like, some, some of, they, they have, like, some contract where they have to have, like, a cowboy song on their, on every album, and so they tried to write one, and it was terrible. But then I realized, you know, these other ones are on here that are classics, and they're good. I mean, maybe not on this album recorded, but they're, like, you know, classic dead songs, especially when, um, 
recorded or when when taken live yeah Yeah. and then also i think uh, correction i think i said before that uh mickey hart creative force behind the band i meant mickey hart creative force behind the album not not the band yeah just for this this brief period of time yeah exactly now there is a folk song called staggerly that oddly is is not quite related to the song, so I'm not quite sure. Even, even the Clash do a version of that. Yeah, it's a it's an old one that you know Dylan's done, Johnny Cash has done. It's been oh. around forever. It's about a guy shooting another guy because they stole his hat or something. But I'm sure I'm sure that Jerry Garcia probably did a version of that too. I'm not sure why they didn't just cover that instead. And it's weird; they really could have done this one just fine in like a totally like they nail cowboy songs. It's like Where was it's this? in their wheelhouse, man. I don't understand why they didn't just do it that way. Where was this recorded? Do you know? Ooh, probably L.A. I don't know. I wonder if I have it. Okay, 10th studio album. Artista Records. Uh, no, I don't have where it was recorded. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious. I wonder, I wonder if it was one of those, one of those situations where you didn't necessarily have a lot of time, and you set everything up to get a particular type of sound, and yeah. this is what you're going to get. Yeah, we got to yeah. leave in two days, and so. we're going to do the disco thing, but it's, we don't have enough songs, so we're going to throw this one in there too. And yeah, the song is so confusing though because they do like Minglewood Blues. I mean, you'll we'll hear it later. Uh, it's yeah, one of my favorite of their like kind of cowboy rockin' songs. Um, and yeah, why could they get that on there? And but they had to rush through this one and do it disco. I don't get it. Hey, I I know we're way past the uh, the drum so the Saren Serengeti is it stutter in the middle of it? Yeah. Um. But uh, I noted its similarity between a a Primus track drum drum salt drum feature featuring Tim Alexander. It's interesting to note that Jay Lane, the original drummer for Primate, which was to be Primus, um, and then later Primus again was the drummer for Rat Dog. For a really long time, wow. so there's wow, there's really some Bay Area kind of noodly jammy like you know cross to, to hell with your your you know four steps of you know <laughs> it's like direct line man. Yeah. Well, since we've been talking about good country songs, let's go to the all new Minglewood Blues. I was born in a desert, raised in a lion's den, and my number one occupation is taking women from their men. Fucking killer lyrics. Come on. Go. This was apparently originally attempted for their first album, I think. Yeah, it's been around a while. It's been around and a while. And I implore you to listen to like a live version of this or <laughs> any other version of this. Like, it's you gotta believe me. It's a great song. Yeah. So I've noticed that we've sort of left the whole Calypso Island thing. I think it's, yeah, the uh, other side of it. Yeah, and put them all on the first side to try and trick people into thinking this is a Jimmy Buffett record or. They just couldn't do it. It's a bit of a weird. It does harken back to trans a little bit with the. It's like they recorded two thematically different albums and kind of smooshed them together. Yeah, but they didn't mix them very well. Three of the island songs are all on side one, and two of the blues songs and the cowboy songs are all on yeah. side two. So I don't know if they're 
Well, I try not to go still. Yeah, the, one side is the one you use to scrape your seeds, and the other side is the one you listen to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. This is the listenable side, if there there were such a thing with this album. Uh, it needs more songs by Donna, though. <laughs> I like that. Did she do a solo album? She did a yeah, couple. Keith yeah. and Donna. Until Keith died. Uh, yeah, she's still around. She I actually, think. their solo album was recorded while they were still in the dead. Because yeah. Keith died only one year after they left. Yeah. Hmm. So. Well, drinking. sorry, Donna, if I was hard on you earlier. She's okay. She's, she's got one of she's the gonna be you know, 28 different Grateful Dead <laughs> orbiting projects that are yep. keeping yeah, the, the whole thing afloat. And she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a result of being yeah. in the dead. She was on the on the guest the list. Hall of Fame. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have the Ventures. They don't have the Monkeys. What the Christ, heck? really? Yeah. I don't uh, speak. Well, I mean, I speak for myself, but you know, also all of us. Screw that mess. Well, yeah, they suck. <laughs> yeah. Show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you expect? Okay. Well, shall we close this out with the Sorry, last Cleveland song? listeners? Oh, New Minglewood Blues is a cover by originally by Noah Lewis. Ah, I did not realize that. But yeah, I tried to capture sense. all the covers and stuff. Wow. So, so in general, what's your feeling on ending an album with either a really rockin' song or a really slow song? Because they have clearly chosen the latter, and uh, I'm not sure that's really a good choice here or ever a good choice. I like to end on a I'm an sorry. upbeat dance tune. I didn't hear you. I was slow dancing with oh. myself <laughs> in the corner. There you well, go. you know, sometimes sometimes it's nice to you know if you have a really rockin' album, you yeah. know, to kind of wind down yeah. with something yeah. that that, that yeah. could be appropriate. Uh, this this record seems a bit disjointed from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. there's no th- good. This was a little Beatlesy. Yeah, like 1980 John Lennon doing Double Fantasy kind of Beatlesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not in a, not in a good, good. It could have used a little bit more Beatlesy. Yes. So yeah, this was um, Robert Hunter and Jerry Garcia's attempt to write a love song. Um, they said that they, um, here's a quote that I found, we were feeling sensitive because someone said, oh, you only write songs about guys for guys. So was their attempt to uh, not to do that? Uh, so it's Good for them. I yeah, mean, their monster yeah. ballad, you know, the, the, the every rose has its thorn for the well, album. I know. A lot of their lyrics are, are uh, um, very um, dark yeah. in, 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 in a not obvious way. Yeah, Hunter wrote um, almost all the lyrics, especially yeah. the Garcia songs. It, it was funny to to watch the you know the whatever fifty hour long uh, Grateful Dead documentary. Yeah. that I'm just oh, joking. On Netflix, on, yeah, yeah, or Amazon or whatever that was. They came out recently, and they go pretty far into it talking about what a genius songwriter Jerry was before they uh, uh, bring up Hunter. the fact that Robert Hunter wrote 
most, of the, most lyrics. of the lyrics. We used to have, um, I talked about my fish, fish following um, roommate, um, but yeah, she had this awesome book of just, yeah, uh, all the lyrics of dead songs, uh, uh, the hunter lyrics, and holy crap, it read like a beautiful book of poetry. It was really intense to get into. So yeah, I mean, he's a really, really excellent poet. Well, since, you know, Jerry Garcia died, Robert Hunter has actually written songs with Bob Dylan. And I mean, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Dylan lets someone else write his lyrics. That's saying something. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, and they're not good songs, but he let them. So, you know. <laughs> I, I think there is something to be said about, you know, Robert, Robert Hunter, great songwriter and, or, you know, lyricist, but he he does not. He does not have a public persona and does not want to be. Yeah, he's and, sort of like Bernie Taupin. He, he's yeah. He's just the lyrics guy. And, and so, as much as I'd like to make kind of fun of how that you know dead dead fan you know deadheads will tell you what a lyrical genius Jerry is, I think Robert Hunter is probably okay letting Jerry oh, yeah. be the lightning rod for all this attention. You know, Jerry it, wasn't even th- okay it, with it. Yeah, Jerry well, didn't even like it. I think <laughs> it's been pretty know, clear the way. Jerry sings them too, right? You yeah, know, yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, uh, the the melodies he comes up with, or the way that they're they're woven into, you know, songs. There, there's there's an emotive quality that is that is, you know, it's a great combination. It's a good mm-hmm. fit. Yeah, it's good. It that really they, is, it, but not on this song. <laughs> not on this. No. Song. And this, it's so funny. This one actually is one that survived and survived into there. I think probably uh, um, from that quote, probably at Jerry's insistence, he's like, "Fuck it, we're playing my love song. Damn it." Um, I'm not writing another one. <laughs> yeah. So we're. <laughs> yeah. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't great at writing one the first time, but yeah, it survived. It's around. Well, like, overall, what do we think? I mean, is this. If if you weren't a deadhead, should you listen to this? If you are a deadhead, Please should don't you listen ever. to um, yeah, <laughs> either way, especially should you pretend do this doesn't not exist? Come into the dead with this album for the love of God. Yeah. Um and actually any of their albums. Maybe Working Men's Dead, uh AXOMXO if you're feeling adventurous yeah. and up to pronouncing it, which I probably butchered. Um but it's a yes, uh you should uh start if if you want to like the dead at all or even attempt please just listen to dick's picks yeah 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 um if you like the overall vibe of this kind of thing um uh rykuter listen to rykuter or i mean different parts just, of the of the uh the neil young catalog really kind of yeah. cover this yeah. like folksy foot stomp and rock and roll stuff even with some in weird, a holistic way rather than a completely yeah, disjointed way th- this exactly it feels that's more holistic. This feels synthetic. Mm-hmm. Well, they did admit they were trying deliberately to be exactly. commercial, and they weren't doing what they well, they were doing what they wanted to do, or they were trying to do what they were doing what they wanted to try to do. <laughs> if you like the dead, or you're interested in getting into the dead, Axo Maxoa is really good. Working Man's Dead is really good. Um, live uh, right around this time, it's you know widely considered to be one of the best live recordings is the the Barton Hall '78. Which you can listen to, you know, on YouTube or Any whatever. Any of the early '70s Fillmore East or West. I yeah, recommend. and I really, I mean, I, I think I speak for Molly and myself when I say anything with Pigpen on it kicks ass oh and it's God. really like kind of the. Yeah, I think American Beauty is a good album. Yeah, I think um, 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 Working Man is supposed to be. I think yeah, than... that's an accessible one. Yeah. Like yeah, Logan's was saying with AXOMXO. I don't know. It's really only if you're like an intense music. If you're or, al- yeah, if you're already you into know, the yeah. challenging. You're, you're right though. It's challenging. It, yeah. it, it's the, the live stuff is just so much more 
It's what they did. Right. It, it it's, was their it's, it's much more engaging. Art form, yeah. You know, like, like I was going to say, you know, Live from the Mars Hotel, which is not a live album, by the way. It's a studio uh-huh. album. You know, that's pretty, it's pretty good. But at the same time, it, it's, it doesn't really hold a candle to yeah. even their commercially released live albums. Right. You know, you don't have to dig out a, a, a bootleg. There's yeah. the Something Europe, good. the double, double one is, I mean, good. But yeah, Dick's Picks is the way to go. Right, so yeah, Dick's Picks was um, yeah a guy named Dick. I, I wish I knew the actual story, um, but yeah, he was one of the guys who they like. He said his name was Dick. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. Thank God. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was he was one of the pe- the many people who would come and record just on their own, and later sanctioned by the band themselves. Um, but yeah, he was one of the um, major people who put out yeah. um, content from directly from live. Recordings and man, I wish someone who knew what they were talking about was talking about this because I bet it's a great story. Well, they can they can comment on our Facebook group and Excellent. we will. Read I would invite all my aunts and uncles from the gay side. Dead, so. Deadheads famously don't have strong opinions about things. <laughs> oh, really? We always your judgment. Yeah. Well, shall the, we wrap it up then? I guess that's unless there's anything else we need to say. They should have done more disco albums. They. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about their next album, but I saw the cover, and man, the, the cover of whatever that album is. What's was, the next one? I don't remember, don't but they're all wearing called. white, and they're in this white flag it's, background, and it looks like they're in heaven or at a wedding. It's, okay. It is a, a frightening photo. Yeah, like I photo. said, um, supposedly oh, yeah. deadhead with supposedly deadhead parents. I have no idea about their album yeah, Well, at all. apparently, it, yeah. If you but want you to get into the Grateful Dead, the you don't need to listen to their albums. Albums which are is, not the way to go. Yeah, it looks like a Barry Manilow cover. It's very... It is Weird. shocking. So it's the one before in the dark, which is the yes. one I originally pitched to. Yeah, because it is my least favorite one. But that's only because you could argue that that one's single-handedly responsible for fish fans and <laughs> the jam the church for the rise yeah. of tr- rise of the Trustafarian. Yeah. Well, we we may get to that album at some other point, but you know, we'll. I mean, it does. The reason I didn't want to do it in the end was it's not a detour or an outlier it's just a bad album (laughs) yeah there is a difference between bad and weird and we're trying to focus on the weird but um for those of you who are interested in the weird and the strange you can email us at detoursandoutliers at gmail.com and suggest any random albums we might want to cover or think about or look at um and uh i guess that wraps it up here my name is scott livingston matthew marr Logan Reynard. Oh, Molly Reynard, a.k.a. Mal Mollusk from Vampire Squids from Hell. Okay, so is there anything you want to plug? Where can people find the Vampire Squids? From well, Hell! <laughs> we, um, we're working on... We don't have recordings really yet. We have just some... Logan shot some footage of us, but um, no official recordings. But we are playing at uh, Cabal Gallery on South Broadway um, on February 9th. Okay. Yeah. Well, if that if this episode happens to come before then, you should go. And if not, <laughs> I'm you know I'm sure there's probably bootleg recordings of it out there, and you should listen to them. Right. And you know find them on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. Facebook. Facebook. There right. you go. There, there's lots of if you're into live recordings and don't care for albums. A, why are you listening to this podcast? And B, DenverArtRock.com has a a an extensive selection of local. Music from the Denver art rock scene, which if you're not in Denver, you may not even know is a thing, but it is. So there you go. Um, And I guess that will wrap it up Uh, until next week when we will dive into and figure out who this is. (laughs) 